0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Folks, you're gonna wanna get your Bible, whether it's pages or digital, and find Revelation chapter five. Revelation chapter five. The United States Department of Human Resources sent a representative to a rancher's place. He said, I need to inspect your ranch for water allocation. The rancher said, hey, no problem. Just don't go over in that field. And that cocky representative said, I'll tell you what. You see this card? It represents the federal government. I can go wherever I want to go on agricultural land. Rancher, hey, you go wherever you want to go. That's fine. I'll go over here. Well, a few minutes later, he heard this terrifying screaming. Here came that federal government representative running as fast as he can with the rancher's prized bull right behind him and gaining on him. The rancher looked at him and said, Your card! Show him your card! You know, yeah, (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? I don't care who you are. (laughs) Uh, In our Bibles, we have the authority of the Word of God, but when the world or our flesh or the devil, even himself, come at us hard, well, that authority seems to be fleeting. Why? Well, because often we just don't know what it says. So for those who are hurting and overwhelmed, by the cares of this world, I'd like to just take the next few minutes to remind you what is true. You know, that's what pastoral counseling is. I do a lot of that over the years. It's just reminding people what is true because the truth's gonna set you free, am I right? Yeah, the truth, man, it sets us free eternally, but not just forever, but even right now, there's, there's a corrective property with the scriptures. I mean, you could feel like you're losing your ever-loving mind and then go back to the scriptures and all of a sudden everything seems to line up. In Revelation 5, I want to give you a little context by reading to you the first couple of verses of chapter 4. 5 is going to be our primary text, but I need to give you some context. In chapter 4, verse 1, John the disciple, the eyewitness of Jesus wrote the gospel, and then his letters at the end of the New Testament. He said, after this, we've just finished the letters to the seven churches. He said, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and with someone on it. So let's kind of um, understand where we are with John right now. The Bible refers to heaven more than 500 times, and others like Paul, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, they wrote brief descriptions of it, yet John's description here is the most complete and informative in all of Scripture. Escorted by John, we're carried far beyond the mundane feature of this temporal realm in which we live to behold the realities Of eternal heaven. But what's going on here is not a warm fuzzy feeling. Man, this is terrifying. There's a tremendous amount of drama set before us in chapter 5. So let's see if we can sort of peek over John's shoulder and somehow get a fresh glimpse of what he's seeing and what he's hearing. So what we're about to read is really heaven's perspective of what was happening on good friday that very first good friday while a man or while mankind saw a man dying on the cross heaven was watching the unfathomable glory and terrifying might of the unconditional love of god triumphing over evil so revelation chapter 1 here we go john wrote then i saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, exclamation point. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then let's jump to verse 11 where all heaven breaks loose. He says, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. All that means is that it was innumerable. As I stood right over here and I listened to you sing, holy, 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 the is the is the God who's on his throne. I'm telling you, it's going on right now. And that's what John sees this innumerable choir of the powerful heavenly host in a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and I'm sorry, power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So let's see what we can do to unpack this passage just a bit that was written by John 20 centuries ago on the island of Patmos. Here, you've got John who's the oldest living disciple. In fact, he's the only living disciple. He's the oldest and only because everyone else has been martyred for their faith. He's actually been sentenced to a slow death He's been exiled on the island of Patmos because they're tired of him too. But it's in this prison that all heaven opens up and he sees God. Now, there's a principle there that we can't skip over. You could be in one of the darkest times of your life and be right where God wants you, right where he plans on talking to you. John was. He's about 95 years old at this time. In verses 1 and 13, he said, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne. Point number one, God has not surrendered his throne. In this world, where it seems like everyone's going to hell in a handbasket, folks, it's no different from Eden. Man, when, when Adam and Eve told God in essence to shove off, It was bad then. It's no worse now. I hear people say it's never been worse. Oh, yes, it has. It's really been bad. You ever read the rest of Genesis or the book of Judges? It's always been bad. We're just able to know about it all now because of social media. But number one, God has not surrendered his throne, man. In Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, <laughs> Barton Swain wrote a month ago in an editorial for the Wall Street Journal. Now this is, this is Barton's words, not mine. Quote, it's hard to contemplate American public life in the 21st century and not arrive at the unhappy conclusion that we are led by idiots. <laughs> Boy, a lot of stuff's going through my mind right now. A.W. Tozer, the 20th century preacher, said, While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. God has not surrendered his throne. And so God, John, continues to describe the scene. In verse 1 he says, A scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And in verse 2 he went on, He saw the mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And this is where the real drama sets in. He said, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or or even look inside it. I wept and wept, but no one was found. No one was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Now I know we have been hopeless before, but on planet earth, there is always hope. Especially knowing that the cross, the empty tomb, took place 20 centuries ago. Even Paul said, you know, we grieve, we grieve, but but not without hope, and hope does not disappoint. But John enters this time of hopelessness, and he begins to weep. And the Hebrew imagery behind this weeping is uncontrollably convulsing. You ever cried like that? You just can't even catch your breath, your eyes swell up. This is John, it is bitter. Weeping. So he's gone from terror to sorrow. That man, can you imagine? It's, it's a wonder he didn't die of a heart attack. So, why is he weeping? I'm glad you asked. The scroll almost certainly represents the title deed to earth, to put it in human terms. So, originally, technically, God created and owns the earth, right? In Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24:1, the earth is, is the Lord's and everything in it. In Genesis 2, God entrusted the earth to mankind. Tend the garden. Have dominion. Take management of it. And in Genesis 3, we have no idea how long Adam and Eve Have made friends with the serpent. Genesis 3 interestingly just picks up in mid conversation between Eve and the serpent and so he's been playing her for some time and finally he wins the game and so in Genesis 3 even though the world is the Lord's the earth is the Lord's and he had entrusted it to the management of us mankind thought it was just a wonderful idea of giving it to the devil We sing, this is my father's world in a technical sense. That's true, but in a practical sense, it belongs to Satan. The temptation narratives are recorded by both Matthew and Luke when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. In Matthew's account, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Matthew writes again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. The devil said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. So the ultimate narcissistic psychopath, Satan, claimed even to Jesus that the earth was his, but notice that Jesus did not dispute that claim. That's why Jesus in John fourteen thirty called Satan the prince of this world. It's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 called him the God of this world or this age. And then the same John the disciple would write in 1 John five nineteen. The entire world is under the control of the evil ones. Still have doubts? Turn on the news or social media. So with this in mind, we look at ancient Jewish law to understand why John is weeping so uncontrollably. To pay off debts in that time, it was first century Jews were an agrarian society. So what they had was property that had probably been in the family for generations, if not centuries. And it was passed on to their children and grandchildren, but if you had to sell it, well, it was painful, man, because it represented your your family's life, their, their livelihood, right? I remember working on my grandparents' farm north of Abilene, man, in the heat in those cotton fields. It was their life, and, of course, that was dry land farming back then. And so you just prayed for rain, but that's how they made a living. It was theirs. It's still in the family. And so it's sort of kind of like that 20 centuries ago. But if you met some sort of issue that required you to sell off your property, this was a painful, it was like an amputation of sorts. But they did it so that they could pay their debts. Now, according to Jewish law, within about a seven-year period, you were given the legal right and opportunity to purchase back your land. If you couldn't afford it, perhaps a family member could. But here's the caveat. If no one could redeem or purchase back the land, it remained in the possession of its present owner forever. You made the connection yet? So this is why John weeps uncontrollably. He thinks and believes that the earth, along with its corruption, evil, hatred, and pain and suffering, is going to remain under the control of Satan forever. There's no one to pay that bill, man. Mankind will be lost forever. Who's going to save us from our bondage? Every four years, we have candidates that promise us that their strategy and administration can save our nation, but over and over they fail. We can't redeem ourselves, much less somebody else, right? Only one, according to the Bible, qualifies. Only one is worthy. That's why one of the elders said to John, don't weep, man. Here's a tissue. Here's a Kleenex. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumph. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He said, do not weep. Point number two, sorrow won't last forever. Sorrow won't last forever. Man, there's a lot of hurting people in this world. Every Saturday, I try to remember to send David, our pastor, a text. He's been preaching a long, long, long time, and I just want to remind him, the words the Lord gives you tomorrow morning are going to give hope to a hurting world. There are some of you today who may feel like David as he cried out to God in Psalm 6, verses six and seven. I know I have. Here's David, this warrior poet. And he said, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. But that same David in chapter 30, verse five would say, weeping may last for the night, man, but joy comes in the morning. In Luke 8, 52, when Jesus came, the the purpose of the miracles was to give us insight, a window into how God intended things to be. No sickness, no death, only joy. And so Jesus is on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. I can't, sorry, I can't imagine that parent, those parents, she's gone. By the way, the Bible tells us in the Gospels that Jesus raised three people from the dead. You got the widow and named son, of course, Lazarus, and then Jairus' daughter. He may have raised 300. We don't know. John, at the end of his Gospel, said, if all the things Jesus said and did were recorded, all the books of the world couldn't hold it. But he was given this insight, and here's what he did. As he approaches Jairus' house, of course, people are weeping and wailing, and here's what he says, stop weeping, exclamation point. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. I've lost loved ones, you've lost loved ones, man. They're more alive than they've ever been. Because of the cross and the empty tomb, sorrow won't last forever. Am I right about it, man? Hey, in John 16, Jesus did say, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't pull any punches this night before he was gonna be crucified. You're going to hurt. You're going to have pain. You're going to feel like abandoning me, but I'll never abandon you, man, because I have overcome the world. Past tense, and he hadn't even go to the cross yet. And it's why Paul said or wrote in Romans 8, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Sorrow won't last forever. C.S. Lewis, former atheist, one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, wrote this. He said, at present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. And of course, the Narnian himself and his lion, witch, in the wardrobe, you know that Narnia, of course, was in bondage. It was in perpetual winter, bitter winter ruled by the white witch who is the devil figure, and Aslan is the Christ figure. Um, C.S. Lewis calls his, um, this smuggled theology to write these wonderful stories where he's really sharing the gospel. And so speaking of Aslan, the Christ figure, he writes, "'Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight, "'and the sound of his roar.'" Sorrows will be no more. John wrote, See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So your point number three is Christ has conquered. Christ has conquered, and folks, that changes everything. Lewis also wrote in his book, Miracles, Jesus has faced the king of death and won and this changes everything. I, I, I don't know, I honestly don't know how people deal with life's pain apart from the hope and truth that we have in Jesus Christ. I don't know. In John fourteen thirty, when Jesus talked about the prince of the world coming, he said, "'But he has no hold on me.'" Now here's what that means. It means Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, has no one to accuse in Jesus. He can't point his little crooked finger at Jesus and accuse him of a single sin in front of the courtroom of God. He can't. And it gets even better than that. Upon our profession of faith, Satan can't even accuse us, man. Now I realize we mess up. Oh, I've been on the South Loop during the five o'clock, you know, you know. I understand. Listen, do you know something? It doesn't matter this last week what has come out of your mouth, um, uh, what you have thought, how you've treated somebody. Yes, all of our sin has earthly consequences. We're going to have to deal with that. But in the courtroom of heaven, do you know, despite our sin, uh, what we, how we mess up? we're still declared not guilty. You are 100% holy and righteous. This is why following the Gospels, every time Paul addresses Christians, he addresses us as saints. Well, I'm Saint Nick. (laughs) I've got the white beard, right? But you are, folks, you are. For those of you today who are crippled with Shame and guilt. Man, listen, those were lessons, not a life sentence. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, man, is worthy to take the scroll. And so that's where we go now. The scroll. The scroll was written on papyrus 20 centuries ago, Roman law said that the title deed or the the information, the details were written on the inside and the summary of the covenant or agreement or law was written on the outside of the scroll. The best way I can describe these scrolls and the seven seals is a roll of paper towels. If you Unroll that thing a long ways and say you were writing on it, and then as you're rolling it back up, you put a little wax seal here, roll it up some more, put a wax seal there, roll it up some more, so forth and so on. And so, as the, the scroll is being opened, you break one seal and you're able to read that much, and then you break another seal. So, does that make sense? Kind of give you an idea of what's going on, and so. That's why when John is looking at this scene and, and the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open that scroll, he celebrates that Christ has conquered. And because of that, we have conquered. In fact, Paul wrote to the Romans and all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. It's not a close game, folks. I mean, it is a beatdown unlike anything we've ever said or seen. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul wrote, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we know why all heaven broke loose. This drama. There was no hope. John wept bitterly, and then our hero, our king, the lion from the tribe of Judah, this root of David, takes the scene, man, and he shows up, and he says, I am worthy, and all heaven explodes and breaks loose, and that's why they sang this new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchase for God. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth forever. Peter, the disciple, put it this way in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. He said, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, purchased back from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a spotless, sinless lamb without blemish, or defect. In 2002, I was still here as youth pastor. I went to a conference. I would every year go to this National Youth Workers Workshop Conference, it was huge. They had three sites over the United States, one on one coast in the middle and one on the other coast somewhere. And uh, I loved it. There were at least 5,000 in attendance at every one of those sites. Youth ministry's hard, it just is. Because those teenagers' parents are nuts. (laughs) The kids were fine, man. (laughs) You ever watch parents watching their kid at a baseball game? They're insane. (laughs) Anyway, depression has run its course through our family. I I was just tired. I was exhausted. I was depressed. I was discouraged. I had a low self-worth. I was just barely hanging on. And so I was in Tampa, Florida. I'll never forget it. It was the very first general session, and I was sitting way back. I didn't want to talk to anybody. There's, I mean, 5,000 youth pastors, and some of them have their spouses, and these are seasoned warriors of ministry. David Crowder, uh, at that time, was just getting started. Since that time, he's written a lot of music, and published a lot of wonderful songs. But he got up there and we were singing and then the music stopped. I'm sorry, the singing stopped, but the music didn't. And on the screen was Revelation chapter five, verse one. Just a few few statements so that you could read it and really take it in. And then the next slide, it was a little more. So... What I'm about to describe to you was not manipulated or orchestrated. You can't fool a bunch of youth pastors, all right? It was just a moment. That's all I can describe, but I'll never forget it. John wrote, and I saw of the hand who sat on the, scr- uh, sat on the throne a scroll-, a scroll with words written on both sides, and then it gets to the part where there was no one worthy to open the scroll and John said, I wept and wept. I'll never forget it. Now it's dead silent in this room with just a little bit of light music playing and I start hearing sniffles and then people weeping. It was like we were reading it for the very first time. I'll never forget it. Then The next slide. And the elder cried out, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is worthy to open the scroll. He has conquered. Yes. I had sat there and I thought, You know, when you're not well, you just, you don't remember what is true. And that's why I'm here today is just to remind you, man, for those of you who feel like you're carrying the weight of the world, whatever you're going through. And I, for a moment, when it got to, I wept and wept, there's no one worthy to open the scroll. I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to pull out of this, ever. And then the lion, the tribe of Judah, And little by little, pockets of people started yelling and standing up and shouting hallelujah. All these seasoned, hardened youth workers and pastors, it was unbelievable. And then all heaven broke loose. 5,000 people stood to their feet and just started praising the Lord. It was amazing. I'll never forget it. That's just a little peek into what that must have looked like when John saw it. Folks, right now we live in the in-between, what I call the in-between. On the cross, Jesus said it is finished, but in Revelation 21, he says it is done. So we have this period of time between the two, and Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have pain. Confusion. Sometimes you may even want to just abandon me, that's okay. Because I've overcome. You can't outrun me. I've got you. I've got you. (laughs) The redemption of the world, as we just read about today, is yet to come, but the redemption of our souls took place 20 centuries ago on a cross outside Jerusalem. Is your heart heavy? Do you feel exhausted from the weight of what seems like endless bad news? Are you crippled with shame or guilt or fear? I'm gonna ask you today to lay your burden down at the cross because the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Christ has not surrendered his throne. For the child of God, sorrow will not last forever because we have victory in Jesus. Let's pray. God, Lord, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. and the hope that I have that comes from the cross and the empty tomb, that by the way is still empty. I ask you God right now that those who are heavy laden would lay their burdens once and for all at your feet and trust you. And God, when life gets hard, and it will, we'll walk right out of here and get in our cars, and for some, it will get hard immediately. And so God, remind us of what is true, that you're on your throne. So Lord, if there's anyone here or watching online who's never professed their faith in you, they've never met this lion who is the lamb, who is the shepherd, who is the savior, oh God, May they not allow their hearts to be hardened, but understand that today is the day of salvation. And We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.